0: You have promised to rescue us from the fire, to give us an abundant, eternal life in You. And so, Lord, today we're going to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate new life, not just a new year. We're going to celebrate the fact that none of us are deserving of Your grace, Lord, but for some reason, You've poured it out on us. So, Lord, as we enter into this time of praise and worship, I ask You, God, to just Be here with us, Lord. Remind us and help us, Lord, to focus on you. In your son, Jesus' name, amen. Good morning and happy new
1: year, church. A little tired this morning, it seems, right? That's all right. We've been up for hours practicing to bring something beautiful before the Lord. Maybe not hours, but... So our first song this morning as we worship is called Brokenness Aside, and the lyrics can be or seem a little somber, but Romans 3, 23 and 24 say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus So this song kind of touches on our brokenness. The sinners that we are, but it also focuses on the amazing grace of the Father, amen? The incredible gift of His Son, His forgiveness. The Word also says that while we were sinners... He paid that price for us. Amen. The chorus says, because I am a sinner, if it's not one thing, it's another. I'm caught up in words, tangled in lies. But you are the Savior, and you take brokenness aside and make it beautiful. Amen. Let's worship together this morning.
2: To run. Cause I am a sinner. If it's not one thing, it's another. Caught up in words, tangled in lies. You are. You are the savior and you take brokenness aside.
3: Sin was great, your love was greater, what could separate us now, what a wonderful name it is, what a wonderful name.
2: Can't stand against what a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. You have no rival. You have no rival. You have no.
1: song is called, Here's My Heart. The chorus says, Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart. Speak what is true. It goes on to say, Here's my life, Lord. Speak what is true. And as Pastor Jamie said a moment ago, I think it's easy for these words to stumble from our lips and maybe with little thought to what we're saying, to what we're we're even praying. So uh, as we sing and as we prepare for the word and the message that God has provided for us today, may these words come from our hearts. May we offer our lives to you, Lord. You know our thoughts, Lord. You know our concerns. We give those to you now at this very moment, Lord. Whatever we walked in here with, Lord, meet us there. Here's our hearts, Lord. Here's our hearts. Sing with me.
2: Here's my heart. bye
1: 23 and 24 says, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way.
0: Father, we just come before you now, Lord, ready to hear from you. Father, I pray that you prepare our hearts and our minds, Lord, for whatever it is that you have for us. Lord, I pray that the words of these songs that we just sang actually mean something to us. That they're not just catchy tunes, Lord, and they're not just feel good moments, but Lord, that these are. Truly, our prayers and our worship and our praise. Have our hearts, Lord. Take over our minds. Infiltrate our lives. We need you desperately, God. And, and Father, you're not just this add-on. You're not just this religion that we've made it. We've simplified you, God, into a, a good luck charm or... A mantra. Father, I ask you now, Lord, that all of us here listening or in this room would truly consider giving all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our lives to you. That's where abundance is. All the things of this life will let us down and they'll, they'll fade away. God, you're everlasting. You've brought us in. You've, you've invited us into this eternal life with you. And I don't know that we really grasp that some days, how great that is. Bring us to that place right now A full appreciation, full gratitude. Help us to remember how hopeless we are without you. Have your way now in me. Use me, God, your servant, for your will. In your son Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. So it's that time again time of year when we all make resolutions and think that if we just do these things, our lives will be better, right? And I'm not saying, and before I get off on my tangent or my rant, that we shouldn't resolve to do positive, healthy things, but through my own failures and even successes with these resolutions, I've learned that we can either not take them serious enough or we can become overly consumed by them. Even allow them to become our main focus. What drives us? Our gods. Who here wants to experience the, fullest, the fullness of life? Who here? Who wants to experience all that God has for them, all that God created them to be? We all do. We spend our entire lives, our entire existence pursuing this, yet we think we know exactly what we need. And we always come up short, don't we? See, abundant life doesn't come through losing weight, although I could, (laughs) finding a new job, earning more money, or even finding a new relationship. Yet every year, most of us even here in the church, will endeavor to pursue these very things in the hopes that we'll find a more fulfilled, more content, and happier existence. Today I'm going to take you through a, a word on, on John chapter 10, and then more specifically verse 10, where Jesus himself tells us he came to give us true abundant life. You see, this word that, that is used here by John in the Greek is perison, meaning exceedingly, very highly, beyond measure, more, superfluous. A quantity so abundant as to be considerably more than what we would expect or anticipate. And Jesus promised us a life far better than we could ever imagine Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, where he says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived that what God has prepared for those who love him. And then Paul also writes again in Ephesians chapter 3, and you've heard it spoken many times in these halls and from this pulpit, verse 20, where it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, Or as we often say, and you see in other translations, immeasurably more. Immeasurably more. I was riding here this morning. I didn't sleep well last night. Um, My son still isn't a very good sleeper, and neither am I, so the two of us wrestle all night long. And um, and it was good. I was in this really vulnerable state, you know, just kind of like... Okay, God, you need to show up this morning because I'm me again. <laughs> and I started realizing like how unqualified I was to even stand up here and, and how undeserving I was to represent him. And, and, and I was just in tears. And maybe it was because I was tired or maybe it was because I'm grateful or maybe it's a mixture of everything or just because I'm a crybaby. But I was listening to music and I was singing in, in a song on my playlist came up that I used that that I got familiar with in teen challenge I remember the first time I heard it it's who am i and and it talks about the frailty of man and the frailty of who i am and and the the beauty of god's grace and as i'm sitting here thinking about how unqualified i am he starts reminding me through that song and those memories of who I was prior to knowing him, who I was when I walked through those doors when my whole life had fallen apart. And I've been reminded of that quite a bit this weekend. I've had a lot of conversations this weekend alone that have reminded me of of what a mess I made of things. And all I was seeking my entire life was abundant life, was fullness of life. And I, no matter what I did, no matter how much I gathered or gained, it was never enough. All I did was increase my appetite and come up short and broken. And my life was just shattered and in pieces, and he met me there. And all I could hope for was just to hang on. You know, God, just if you could just rescue me, you could just sort of get me out of this mess, I'll be okay. And that was really all I was sort of hoping for, was just to be rescued from death. I, I couldn't even imagine what a measurably more or abundant life looked like. I had it all screwed up anyways. And here I am, I'm driving here this morning in my truck... And I'm thinking about all the things that have happened to me in the last 11 and a half years since I literally gave my life to God. And I realize that I'm living abundant life, that it has nothing to do with the stuff I have. It's what He's done inside of me. It's what He's shown me. It's how he's used me. It's not stuff. And so I'm going to talk about that this morning. But I just, you know, I pray that as I speak, that you hear my sincerity, that the word of God really does do something this morning for you. That, you know, you, you, we're all seeking. We're all, you all raised your hands. So when you leave here today, I pray that you, you honestly consider what Jesus has to say here in John chapter 10. And that you stop looking to other things, other temporary things, other tokens, other gods other substitutes that are not going to do anything anywhere close to what Christ can do for you. I know when Pastor Brian and I pray together and we talk, it's like there's this desire for both of us. We've been so broken and so and, and rebuilt, and we just pray for people to like experience that same thing. Not that we want you to hurt but we just want you to understand the freedom and experience what it means for self to be stripped away and to see what God can do with a blank canvas that's just surrendered to him so before i go i'm going to read the main text and then i'm going to pray with you and when i pray i'm going to ask you to really just consider that you know what do you want from this new year you know, do you want to just hang on and survive? You want to say that, you know, you made it and hope that this year's better than last? Or do you want God to just radically move in a way in your lives that everyone that encounters you and all the people that know you know, just like the disciples when they went to Antioch knew that they had been with Jesus. So in verse 7, it says, So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, and if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Wreck us today, God. As these holidays wind down and this season gets quiet, help us to remember your grace. Help us, Lord, in light of our sin and our wretched nature, God, to remember, God, that you've reached down from the heavens and given us hope, given us a promise. You've brought us into fellowship with you. You've given us a chance. And so, God, I just ask you this morning to help me to be obedient to you, to get out of your way. Father, I pray that every person who hears this not hear me speaking, but hear a word from you that the Holy Spirit would minister to them and stir in them and do something really new, something deep, something lasting. Navigate this now, God. Speak to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to try to break this down into just a few points. The first one would be that Jesus is the only door to abundant life. See that in verse 7. And later in John 14, verse 6, Jesus will remind us again of this very truth. And he says it in a different way. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is claiming exclusivity to be the only way to God. And that's something that we cannot compromise. This is one of those foundational truths. It's the truth. Jesus is not a door. He is the door. Acts 4.12 says very clearly that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. Period. I think a lot of times what we do is, is we sort of bend a little bit for the sake of political correctness or politeness. And when someone doesn't share our views on religion or on Christ, what we end up doing is, is sort of just letting that go. Losing that opportunity. Because that person is obviously lost. And our job is to remind them that there is only one way to salvation. One door, and it's Jesus. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the door of the sheep in verse 7? Why does he use this illustration? I'm very glad you asked. Tell us, Pastor Jamie. Right on cue, Pastor Brian. See, first, it's important to understand that when we study the scriptures, we must use what's called good biblical exegesis. We look at things like who the writer is, why he's writing it, when he was writing it, and to whom he was writing it to, and so on. See, a lot of times we don't do that, do we? A lot of times we we find a scripture or a portion of scripture, and because we're going through a season or, or because of where we're at in our walk, we sort of pluck it out of the scriptures and we say, this really pertains to me right now. And we lose the truth. Of what that word means. Because the reality is is when the writer wrote it. There is literally only one truth and one purpose and one meaning to it. And our job through exegetical study is to mine that truth. It's to grab that truth and to store it in our hearts. So that we cannot be easily swayed. So that we won't compromise the truth. And there's so many places out there that that's how they, that's what they teach. That's their message Sunday after Sunday. They take the word and they sort of bend it a little bit to fit a scenario or their audience. To lure people in, to make them feel good. And then Jesus becomes a self-help God. A good luck charm, as I said. And we miss his holiness. And we miss reverence. And what happens is is he, he becomes this sort of buddy of ours. And worship becomes shallow and superficial. We don't take the word as seriously as we should. We use what's called eisegesis, this superficial sort of study of the Bible. One of the most misused verses in the Bible, and I think it could honestly be the tagline for the American church right now, is Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, we take this, this, this is God speaking to Jeremiah about the Israelites in captivity in Babylon for 70 years, and he gives them this promise, and he says that I have plans for you. I have a future for you to prosper you and not to harm you. And we hear that and we go, oh, that's perfect. That works with my narrative. That works with my pursuit of the American dream. So I'm going to use that. And you know what? Churches are adopting this mentality. And this health and wealth mentality takes over and people aren't being saved. It's Matthew chapter 7, lived out. Flee from me. You never knew me. But didn't we do things in your name, Jesus? Didn't I heal in your name? Didn't I serve in your name? Didn't I wear, wear a t-shirt and a bumper sticker and listen to K-Love? It's not about a feeling. It's about truth. I was just talking to Michaela yesterday. She brought something up really cool. Made me look at Wonder Woman in a whole new light yesterday. Thanks, Michaela. And Matt. You know, the the, the lasso of truth. And what she says is that it's not the power of the lasso, it's the power of truth. That's where the power is. And I think we discount the fact that we literally have the word of God, the inspired word of God to guide us. And yet what we do is is we want to sort of listen to all the other voices around us. See, in this portion of Scripture and in many others, we see Jesus use the example of shepherdship with his listeners. And the reason he does this is because it's a very common vocation back then. Really simple. It would be like going down to the waterfront and talking to fishermen and using illustrations and analogy about fishing. He's talking to a bunch of people, and there's probably sheep in the crowd. Literally. And so when Jesus says, I'm the door of the sheep, this made a lot of sense to his listeners because they knew that at night a shepherd would build a protective enclosure for their sheep and then this enclosure would have no door on it. The shepherd himself would lay across the opening to the shelter at night and make sure the sheep could come in and go out to pasture and that predators were kept out. The shepherd became the door. That's how he protected his sheep. So when Jesus uses this illustration, he's saying that as the good shepherd, he is that door. I am the door, he says. I'm the one who keeps you. I'm the one who protects you. I'm the one. He says, I am the good shepherd in verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He's saying this figuratively and literally because as we know, he would eventually lay down his life entirely. This is all being said not long before he would be crucified. So this metaphor is used to explain that sheep that need to follow him as the good shepherd if they want life. That the only way to enter the kingdom is through Jesus himself. I think we really need to understand this. I think, again, through this political correctness, we sort of can agree or not even stand up to the fact that people say that all religion leads to God. It doesn't. All other roads lead to death. That's why we're here. So my second point would be that true, true sheep will not be led astray. True is the operative word. True sheep will not be led astray. See, others have and will continue to come and promise abundant life through other means. But the true sheep of the good shepherd will not be led astray for long. Jesus is referring to those who preyed on the sheep and used them for their own selfish ends. In this text, he's responding to the Pharisees and church leaders of that day. So the thieves and robbers who he's talking about were standing right in front of him. Now, can can sheep be led astray? Sure they can. There are many who come in the name of Jesus and attempt to, to lead his sheep astray, and many will fall for it. This seems to be much more prevalent in the Western church where we've allowed the culture to infiltrate our worship and put a Christian spin on the American dream, as I said. We see preachers promising health, wealth, and prosperity as they redefine what Jesus meant by abundant life. We put on rock shows and center our theology on self while promising churchgoers that if they just have enough faith or give enough money that they'll have the life that they've always dreamed of. And this is nonsense. It's heresy. It's an absolute slap in the face and an insult to Christ who gave up his life for us. And we should take it very personal. We should stand up to this. You know, a lot of times what we do is we say, oh, well, that's their church. That's how they do things. You know, and we can write it off and say, well, that's the bride of Christ. But is it? It looks more like his mistress. It's sad. And I think we really need to get right back to the, to the crux of the matter and to the core of things. And, I, and I'm grateful for what Pastor Brian preaches every week. I'm grateful for what we have here. Because I'm going to tell you what, I've been to a lot of churches. It's been one of my privileges as, as sort of the associate here and going through the Ministry of Teen Challenge. You go to a lot of churches. I've seen some crazy stuff. Nothing like Corinth, though. Thank God. <laughs> but I've seen some crazy stuff. And I'm grateful for what we have here. And I, and I pray that you're all grateful as well. You know? There's a lot of effort that goes into bringing you guys the truth as we see it, the best we can present it. But I'm going to tell you this, and this is one thing that we can't forget, is that the gospel is not about this feel-good movement that it's become. It's about a life for a life. Jesus gave us his life we are to give ours back. It's not about living your best life now or even a comfortable life now because carrying a cross is not comfortable. Anyone selling a gospel other than the one that preaches Christ and Him crucified that doesn't call us to take up our cross, die to self, and give our lives to Christ is a thief and a robber, according to Jesus. And we need to take it And believe it as such. We are defenders of the gospel. We're his front line, his watchmen, here and now. And we need to stop getting off on these tangents and these paths that that are secondary matters that don't mean so much. And allowing that to divide us. It's bad enough we have more denominations than we can count. And it's bad enough that, that, you know, if our theologies don't align on, on secondary matters that we, all we end up doing is arguing publicly on social media and other platforms like that and looking like fools. We need to band together and save those conversations for private where the world isn't watching or listening because what these lost people need to hear is the truth of the gospel. They need to know the door. Because this world and this life is going to present to them many different doors and options. And it's confusing, and many of you understand this, if not all of you, that we can often choose the wrong doors. And so our job as guides, as the knowledge of the truth now, is to show people where that door is. So that they don't waste any more time. This life is a vapor. It's short. I just got a phone call 15 minutes before we started of from a good friend who lost his wife on New Year's Eve while they were walking down the street. A car veered off the road and hit her and ended her life immediately. Had no idea that was going to happen. They're just walking back to their place. He's a mess. He has all kinds of regrets and guilt. Everyone's shocked. And my first concern is, and what I said to Jeff was, "Is God, I hope I served her well. I hope I shared everything I was supposed to. I hope I did everything I was supposed to that God commissioned me to in her life. Because that's our job at that moment. That's all that matters. And a lot of us are just sort of winging it. We're on cruise control, and we're just coasting through life right now. It's like we take our salvation, throw it in our back pocket, and then we wrestle with the things of the world that shouldn't even have our attention. And guess what? It's not just us who suffers. It's our families who suffer. It's our friends who suffer. It's the people we come in contact with who suffer. Because they don't get Jesus in you. Our job is to be Christ. We're the light of the world. We're ambassadors, we're ministers of reconciliation. Is that how your life is characterized? If somebody said, hey, I know so-and-so, and boy, is he a minister of reconciliation? Boy, she is the light of the world. She's definitely an ambassador for Christ. Is that how we're described? And if not, it's time to resolve to be that. You want to lose weight, fine. Buy a treadmill, hang your clothes on it, eat less. But I'm going to tell you, what's far more important than that is that you live each moment, no matter what day, no matter what time, no matter what year, for Christ. And if people didn't do that in my life, I don't know where I'd be right now. Sure, I believe God would have called me by grace and and whatever, but I know my journey might have been a lot different. And a lot more struggling and suffering might have happened. But I digress. Jesus promises that his true sheep will always find their way back to their shepherd. They will always find their way back to their shepherd, his true sheep. In John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30, just a few verses later, it says, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus is asserting his authority, his deity. He's saying, I am God. I and the Father are one. And no one is going to snatch you out of our hand. But you know, I'm going to go into some of this theology that... We teach, you know, this once saved, always saved, as people have coined it, the perseverance of the saints, preservation of the saints, however you want to, whatever you want to call it. You know, I've heard people on the opposing side say, oh my gosh, that makes for lazy Christians. That makes for Christians who think, good, good. I have, there's this licentiousness that goes along with grace. I can do whatever I want now. I'm saved forever. I can keep on living how I want. And it aggravates me. But I'm, at, I'm without an argument a lot of times. I mean, sure, I can revert back to the scriptures, and that's you know, the way to, to, to finish those arguments, I suppose, obviously. But what aggravates me personally is there is some right to that. That we as a church, those of us who believe that theology, have earned that reputation. We have become lazy. We have started to sit on our hands a little bit. Where's the urgency? Where's the excitement? You know, I remember when, when uh, you know, I first got saved, you know, I was... I don't want to get into like a whole sermon about when I was or wasn't saved, but I was 25 years old. I heard the gospel for the first time, and I was excited. It was what I was looking for. And I remember like this this honeymoon stage, like where I was just, I wanted to tell everybody about Jesus, like what I just learned. Like can you believe this, that you can be a complete moron like me? And actually have eternal life and forgiveness and grace and transformation and newness. I was like, this is for everybody. Like, even idiots. (laughs) It was like this obnoxious sort of inability to shut my mouth about the gospel. To whoever would listen to me. And you know, as the honeymoon stage died down, right? When I started realizing there was a commitment on my part to Christ... And I lost that zeal, and I started to revert back to my old ways, in a lot of ways. I lost that ability, that excitement and urgency to tell everybody. Pastor Brian has shared a bunch of times, we were were probably the worst representations for Jesus at that point in our lives. Sitting on bar stools with a drink in our hand, drugs in our system, telling everybody that God is real. (laughs) I'm sure he was so proud in those moments. But the point is, is that you know, we, we lose this zeal because Christianity becomes inconvenient to us. Because maybe people aren't listening to us or turning us down when we share the gospel or mocking us or laughing at us. We're not seeing any results. But as we talked about in Jeremiah, Jeremiah served faithfully for 40 years or whatever it was without seeing one result in his ministry, not one ounce of success. And it wasn't about that. It was about the excitement he had in the knowledge of God and who God was. That God was using him. That God had chosen him. And I think we forget that. That that's the reward. We're looking for more all the time. But we have more than we deserve. In him. There will be people who don't come back the fold there will be people who go out from amongst us and never come back sadly but in first john 5 19 it clearly says they went out from us but they were not really of us for if they had been of us they would have remained with us and so we've got to remember that we worry about things we don't need to worry about Instead of living first for Jesus with this sort of urgency and zeal for the gospel and reaching others, we get worried about secondary men. Well, what if, I'm, what if I'm not saved? What if they're not saved? What if God didn't chose choose them? How's God going to use me? And we start getting into these like, semantics that don't mean anything because we're not even living for Christ to begin with. So it's almost like a cop-out. I'm being tough today. I'm sorry. Kind of. But, you know, God beat me up all week in a good way. Reminded me of some things this week. Reminded me of how abundant my life was. You know, I, I, with all this COVID stuff going on all year. Yeah, a lot of it's nonsense. I'll come right out and say it. I, I don't care. I think a lot of it is nonsense. You know, and, and I think that we're, we're being manipulated and controlled by a lot of things. And that's my personal opinion. We can argue later if you disagree. You can be wrong. I'm fine. But the point is, is... Us being separated from our families and and, and people in general, it's a big blow. Because we're built for relationship. We're built for community. So even more now than ever, we need to fight for community. We need to fight for fellowship. We need to make it a point and be intentional about reaching people and get creative. Get creative. You know, if it was something else that you really wanted, you know, like the latest iPhone, right, Pastor? If it was something like that, you'd find a way to get it. You'd make sure you went out of your way. I see people standing in lines for, I just drove by Market Basket the other day, and the line was wrapped around the corner. I went for Chinese food on New Year's Eve, and I waited in line for an hour and a half, and I'm like, but this is nuts. All for Chinese food. All that we do those things for, for the nominal things, for the unnecessary things. How long would you stand in line to get into church this morning? <clears throat> Abundant life is eternal life. And I want to clarify this because you know I, I think like we have redefined. What immeasurably more means? What abundant life means? We see in, in verses nine and ten that through Jesus we're saved and given life. To be clearer, the abundant life we're promised, and as I mentioned earlier, it means beyond measure, a quantity so abundant as to be considerably more than one what, what excuse me than what one would expect or imagine or anticipate. It's life beyond measure, eternal life. And eternal life doesn't begin when we die. It begins the moment we're caught in the grip of God's grace. It's the moment Jesus becomes our Lord and Savior. That's when our eternity begins. It's it's sort of this rerouting. You're going in this direction, and all of a sudden, grace happens, and you just rerouted. And now you're on this eternal path with God. But a lot of us keep looking back in the rearview mirror at this old road. And, we, and we, we want to keep riding on it because there's a lot of comfortability there, you know? We know all the stores, <laughs> all the good restaurants. But the reality is, is that God is trying to show us so much more about life and what it means to have abundance through this eternity. It's not health. It's not wealth. It's not prosperity. Those thieves and robbers who are selling this gospel will be dealt with, rest assured says those who are teachers will be held to an even higher standard. And woe to them who stand before God on that day and have to answer for all their false teaching. Woe to them. I don't want to be in those, those shoes. And I don't want to stand up here and give you some fluffy New Year message and encourage you to keep your resolutions and be better people and be really nice and kind. You know, yeah, walk in the Spirit of God. Be a child of God. Live as a child of God. Abide in Christ. And guess what will happen? The fruit of the Spirit. If I just tell you to be nice, then you to just to be this counterfeit nice person. But if we show you and teach you what the Word says about abiding in the true vine, then you're going to flourish genuinely with real fruit. In John chapter 17, and I love this. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's the priestly prayer. It's Jesus praying for his disciples and us. And if you ever need encouragement and you ever want to know that God is with you, that God loves you, that Jesus is with you, read this chapter. Be reminded of how he prayed for you because he knew you. He knows you. It says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Abundant eternal life is literally this. The knowledge of God. The Father, and the Son, and the Spirit as one. Three persons, one God. The knowledge of Christ, right? The scriptures say it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the very power of God. And so we need to embrace that privilege that we know who God is, that God knows who we are. And this is something I really think that we forget. That there's no greater privilege in this life. I think we're really unsatisfied with him sometimes. And our lives are proof. He's, you know, we just sang, You're more than enough. Who sang that verse? I did. You're more than enough. Is he more than enough for you? I was talking to Jim yesterday about, you know, we say these things, but I reminded him of Steve Martin in the movie The Jerk. You know, and some of you are going, who's Steve Martin and what was The Jerk? It's not a movie about Jeff Torres. No, it's, it's this movie. It's a comedic movie, obviously, but at the end he loses everything and as he's being ushered out of his mansion, he's like, I don't need anything. I don't need anyone. Well, except for this remote control and except for this chair. And he looks like a total idiot walking out of his house carrying in his bathrobe carrying all this stupid, meaningless stuff. Boy, if that isn't an illustration of us sometimes. Is he more than enough? Is he your all-in-all? When you sing, Christ is enough for me. Do you mean that? It should convict us. It convicted me as I was singing it. It should convict us. It should be our heart cries and our praise. Christ is enough. Psalm 23 tells us that he protects and cares for us and prepares a table before us, even in the presence of our enemies, so that our cup overflows. He goes with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. And I think we think that's just a funeral passage. But it's not. And whenever I read it at a funeral, I always say, This is not about death. This is about life. It's about salvation. He goes with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. In other words, Jesus isn't promising an easy life where there are no trials or where you get instant deliverance from your trials, where everything's rainbows and butterflies. He doesn't promise that. He says, in this world, you will have troubles. Take heart. I've overcome this. But this is going to be tough. And now that you know me, it might even be worse because they persecuted me first, so they're probably going to persecute you too. And in this country, and in the context of our lives, I don't even think we understand what persecution is. I've heard people say it, and I giggle. What do you mean, persecution? You couldn't bring your Bible to school or something? Like, Are you kidding me? People are being killed and tortured and jailed in other countries. And we look at the martyrs of past. And we actually have the audacity to say that we've been persecuted. Yeah, we get made fun of. We get laughed at. So what? We deserve it. Are you kidding me? If that's the cross we're bearing, we better be grateful. Not cocky. We're a little too comfortable, church. He's promising in those trials and in those hardships, to meet all of our spiritual needs, if we'll just enter through Him as our door. That's what He's promising. This eternal life. He's saying, I'm going to meet all your spiritual needs. Yep, you might die, you might get sick, you might be broke, you might go through X, Y, or Z just like everybody else because the rain falls on the just and the unjust the same. Do you know that? but I'm going to provide every spiritual need you have if you just abide in me. Enter through me. That's his promise. And we've somehow flipped that around to sort of make this existence, this vapor, this temporary existence to be as important or more important than the next. And so we sort of try to heap the rewards and the material rewards and, and the healings and the prosperity into this life. Take heart. I have overcome this world. You're going to struggle. It's going to be tough. Life is tough. And you're going to wear this flesh suit that's full of sin on, on, on the way. Friends, there are only two ways for us to live our lives we can pursue this world for satisfaction, or we can seek after Jesus to satisfy us. And it's really simple. The world offers death and Jesus offers life. And that's it. Why do we keep getting caught up pursuing the wrong things if we know the door to life? Just remember, you can't serve two masters and you can't seek after both. And as many of you know, I work in the recovery field and I honestly hope my boss isn't watching and I don't get fired for this. (laughs) But I see all these programs, right? I work around people who are big 12-step and AA, NA, smart recovery, and you know, refuge recovery, all these different recovery methods. And I work around this daily. And they all promise freedom. They all promise freedom. But the best these things can hope for, to do for you is to provide some form of sobriety or abstinence. That's, that's it. Like they might be able, might be able to help you stop using your substance. And the percentage, I believe, is about 7% success rate. And they tout this 7% like it's life-changing stuff. And half the time, let's look at that 7%. I see in that 7% people who are very far and few between actually free. Most of them are still chained to a yoke of slavery, whether it be the program itself, or all the other hurts and hang-ups they had when they went into the program. So now they're just not using drugs or alcohol or all these other things that were life-controlling. But now they have this other reality to deal with, and they probably don't like themselves too much because of all the damage they've done and who they really are. And it bothers me to see this. And, and it's almost like I could take the easy road and say, yeah, I don't want to work in this field anymore because, you know, you guys just don't agree with my perspective and I don't agree with yours. You know, I, I, I just, we're at odds here. But then I realize that in those people, the brokenness, the desperate people that I work with, I have an opportunity that I can share with them what true freedom is. I look at the 12-step programs a lot like Paul looked at that statue with no name on Mars Hill. I see you are a religious people. Let me tell you about the name of that God. We've got to get into the, to a place where we're using opportunity. I tried all those programs. You've heard us say we're your research monkeys. <laughs> I like that. I like thinking about Pastor Brian and I as just a couple of research monkeys who made all the wrong moves and did all the stupid things so that you don't have to. Because we've proven that those pathways lead to death and failure and brokenness and they don't have any reward. They, you come up empty. There's no freedom in them. Yeah, you may stop your destructive behavior, but you'll still have to deal with that person. And when we realize Jesus is the only door to freedom and we give our lives to him, we get much more than just a reformed life. We get abundant life. We are in credibility and trust. People actually start looking to you as a resource. I want what he has. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know it's good. Everybody stop, you know, all those people that, that aren't using and they've got, you know, so many days, and they one day at a time, and I get all the mantras and all that, and it's good, and sometimes it works, but I want what that guy has. I want that abundant life. I want freedom. That's what we're searching for. You all raised your hand. So to think we're just gonna find it in a simple program that doesn't offer Christ, is nonsense. Those things are secondary matters. When you chase after Christ, he removes all those things, right? How many people have heard me say the big boulders? He clears out the big, <laughs> he clears out the big boulders. Helps us to deal with the small ones. And then he clears out the details and all that other destructive stuff as well. Friends, for the most part, we're naturally desirous of material things. But as Romans 12, 2 says, our perspective on life must be revolutionized. We must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And just as we are transformed to become new creations when we come to Christ, so must our understanding of abundance be transformed. True abundant life consists of abundance of love, joy, peace, and all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not an abundance of stuff. It consists of life that is eternal, and therefore our interest is in the eternal, not the temporal. Paul admonishes us in Colossians 3. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ our God. Think about that. Are you living as if your life is hidden in Christ? Are you setting your, things, your, your heart and your minds on the things abo- above, or are you setting them on earthly things today? What are you chasing? Really ask yourselves that, because that's the whole point of preaching, right? That's the whole point of teaching. That's the whole point of you coming to church, is to hear the truth of God, to hear a word that's going to reroute you, help you, instruct you, edify you, transform you. And so, if I'm preaching from the word and I'm giving you nothing but truth and, and, and supporting it with scripture, then you know the, the onus is on you now. The onus is on you when you leave here to set your minds on the things above and not the earthly things that will rust and fall apart. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and, and they're going to close with a song. And I'm just going to share this quick tidbit of information. The Eskimos have an interesting way of killing wolves, some of you may have heard this. They take a sharp knife, they dip it in seal fat, and they plant it blade up in the snow. So a hungry wolf will will smell the seal fat, which he loves, he'll find the knife and he'll begin to lick it. And as soon as he licks it, he tastes blood, his own blood. But he loves the taste of blood. He licks more and more until he finally kills himself. And what he thought at first was really living was actually what was killing him. Gorging yourself on the world and its sinful pleasures is a lot like that. At first it tastes good, but it's really destroying you. Only Jesus ultimately satisfies our souls. Only Jesus can reconcile you to God and give you real life, abundant life. And that begins now and continues through all eternity. Amen. I'm going to ask you to please stand.
1: Thank you, Pastor Jamie. This song is called The Blessing. And it stems from a couple of promises in the Old Testament. One found in Numbers. Another in Exodus and Deuteronomy, and I won't get into all of those or the depths of them or the theology of them, but I do want to read uh, Psalms 103, 17 through 18, says, <clears throat> But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. As Pastor Jamie said a moment ago, um, it does rain on the, the righteous and unrighteous alike. And this isn't a, a, a magical prayer or a magical song or anything like that. However, going into 2021, it's a word of encouragement. It's a prayer of faith. It's just asking the Lord, as it says in verse 1, to bless you, to keep you, to make his face shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord, sorry, the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May that be the posture, the prayer of our hearts, the posture of this year in 2021. Lord, bless us with your presence, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Father. Like we've been filled yet, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Have your way.
2: shine upon and be gracious to you. Lord turn his face toward
3: May his presence Girl go before, before you.
2: He is for you. He is for you.
1: faithfulness, for going with us, going before us, Lord, beside us, behind us, for working within us, Lord, to bring forth, Lord, glory to your name, to the name of your Son, Jesus. As we just sang to you Lord in our weeping in our rejoicing Lord you are for us Lord you are for us church that last uh, tag says amen and amen and which translates to sobia. let's close out with that one more time amen Amen. Amen.
2: Amen. Sing Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your Holy Spirit morning go before us today go before us this week may we bring glory to your name and all that we say and do Lord we praise you in Jesus name amen and amen have a great week church
4: to be right. Thank you.